0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI, I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer, and today we are talking about death. Which is somewhat fitting, although, as it's a Sunday, uh, unfortunately there will be no resurrection in most of these conversations. Michael, how have you been? Not, not well, now. I mean,
1: no resurrection, and it's Sunday, and... God, it's Christmas, you know, it's like it's the, what is it, the third Sunday of Advent? Go Daisy, go Daisy. I'm fine, Gary, how are you? Why the hell are we talking about so much death? Is there something we need to know?
0: Well, there's news in relation to euthanasia, there's news in relation to suicide... And there's news in relation to teaching, which I suppose we could call the death of expertise.
1: I am not going to consider e- endorsing that comment in any way, shape or form, considering <laughs> a very significant number of per- members of my family who are involved with in the profession of teaching. However, there are issues around t- teaching. There are indeed serious issues about teaching.
0: So, Michael, we've talked a lot about uh, euthanasia on this show and about the concerns that if euthanasia is brought in because of certain hard cases it changes things it changes the nature of medical care it changes the nature of care for the elderly it puts options there for people but options that might feel not as if they are required to be taken but where people may put pressure on themselves even if no one else wants to to take those options Uh, that it will lead to people who do not want to die effectively committing suicide using the state And I've got to say Michael Looking at the experience of Canada, we have been prescient in our discussions.
1: Yes, it has certainly happened in Canada. I, I think we've seen incidents where similar kinds of issues have happened also in the Netherlands, but more particularly in Belgium, which has taken the euthanasia baton and run hard. But it is, could I say, could dare I say, yet another example of people from a certain perspective in the culture war standing inside saying, oh, if you do that, you're going to see X, Y and Z. And people say, no, that's the typical Scaremongering from the kind of people this is what we would expect from you people. This is an act of compassion. It'll only affect a tiny minority of people, and of course that would never happen. We would never allow that to happen. That's not who we are. And then lo and behold, the mask slips.
0: We have seen in I'd say the last two months, Michael, maybe the last month and a half, three cases becoming public where people who were engaging with what's called MAID medical assistance in dying. Yes. Uh, turned out not to be very enthusiastic about the process. We had a man who looked like he was going to lose his accommodation who publicly came out and said that he was considering uh, using MAID because he couldn't be homeless. Now that man subsequently received quite a large amount of donations and didn't go through with it. We had the case of Christine, uh, Gettier, who is a former Canadian military uh, member and is paraplegic. I believe they may have been a Olympian, but I'm not entirely sure about that. They, <laughs> they, during a uh, speech before the, the House of Commons Veterans Committee in Canada, said that they had asked the Veterans Administration uh, to give her a stairlift, Michael. They responded by sending her a letter saying that, due to her considerable suffering, she was illegible for medical assistance in dying, which is certainly not a stairlift.
1: Now, you see... The- the thing there is, Gary, even though it is very, very dark and very black, it's kind of hard because it is so black just not to laugh. A woman at the grotesqueness of it, but also to be kind of happy that it's so explicit. It's absolutely straightforward. There is no hiding in the shadows in this one. She writes in saying, I want a stairlift. Now, Gary, I would say to you, at this stage in the Western world, a stairlift is not somebody writing in to say, I have read about some new surgery, which is takes place at 20,000 meters, 20,000 meters in the air and barometric pressure and costs 17 million dollars and has a four to seven percent chance of success. It's a stair lift. She writes in and asks for a stair lift and they write back saying, have you considered killing yourself? That's a fairly straightforward response saying, stair lift, yeah, but you know there's a chance that you're going to keep costing us money and I think that maybe a stair lift, it's a stair lift today but God knows what it'll be tomorrow. Have you considered killing yourself? It would be just better for him. Also, your suffering. They are telling her about her suffering. I think that your true. suffering is so great. Also, the, the, you you were talking. You mentioned the guy that was about to become homeless. What I thought was remarkable about that particular case, well, not that he wouldn't, you know, somebody who's about to become homeless and feels desperate goes on the television and gets into the paper saying, you know, I would rather be dead than homeless. Because, you know, he, he was trying to do what he could do to alleviate his own personal position. But rather, Gary, it was looking like he might be considered suitable under the guideline. Rather than the response being, Well yeah, we understand that you're distressed, you're going to be homeless, but really this is not what this legislation was intended for. This is not what we do. We don't go around killing homeless people. This is not the purge Canadian style. But no, he was they were saying well, you know, well he could be considered suitable. Because he was because he was going to be homeless. They were considering, yeah, okay,
0: maybe. That's the joy, Michael, of mental anguish as a grands. I, I think you're right. There is a certain... There is a certain humour to the stairlift one. Like, you nearly imagine a comedy skit of a woman in a wheelchair at the foot of a staircase looking forlornly up but going gee I sure would like to be able to go up those stairs and just a man in a suit emerging from the shadows going have you considered suicide there's a,
1: there's a scene in the, a Monty Python movie the meaning of life I don't know if you've seen it and these two people arrive at the door of this man and said we're here for your liver and he said well, I'm using it and they rough him up and they find that he has in fact a donor's card on him now actually this skit has a certain relevance these days as you know Gary the government owns our bodies, so the default position from now on is they will be able to harvest us unless we give explicit extraction instructions. Otherwise, it's an opt out rather than an opt in situation under the new legislation. Anyway, so he said, "But but I need my liver. I I I I was going to give it to you after I died." To which John Cleese gives the perfectly reasonable response, "Gary, well, no one has ever survived us taking their liver out.
0: He's got him there.
1: You know, he absolutely got him there." So you do think this could have been in that kind of thing? They they could have slipped this this, this particular incident in. I, I think you're right. You're you're saying I mean, possibly even a Paralympian. You think this is the response you give? No, no, not maybe not with a stairlift, but yes, we could kill you. I mean, how do you feel about that?
0: Would you like to know what the response of the head of the Veterans Administration in Canada was to this?
1: Head of the Veterans? Okay, good, good. Go on.
0: He said that. Um... This was It was not the place of the veteran's office to recommend the use of MAID, and that this was a situation that had happened no more than four or five times.
1: No more than four or five times. To- well, they're only human, Gary. You know, in fairness. And I imagine that inevitably they are going to be veterans suffering from physical and mental trauma. That your most natural reaction would be, yeah, you know what, really? Is it worth it?
0: Is it really worth it? As you said, they're only human and sometimes they just have that deep well of sympathy. Yeah where you look at a person's circumstances and you just say, that's a person who shouldn't be living. And obviously a person who requires a stairlift shouldn't be living.
1: It's hard to argue otherwise. I mean, if you're going to be reasonable, if you're going to be compassionate about it, really, can you imagine, what, would your life be worthwhile if it took you that long to get upstairs? I don't think so. I think the people who insist that people have to go upstairs slowly lack fun. They're psychopaths, Gary, basically. They lack empathy.
0: I mean, the you think, Michael, when your options are killing the person or letting them suffer through the indignity of pulling themselves up the staircase because, by God, you're not going to give the equipment to them anyway.
1: Stairlips are not... That expensive. I mean, unless euthanasia equipment must be very cheap these days in Canada. Then again, you know, it's probably economies of scale. If you can make enough of it and get an, enough use out of it, I suppose it starts to get cheap.
0: That might be a new concept, actually, Michael. That might be something you've just invented. The idea of economies of scale and euthanasia provision.
1: You like to contribute positively to the debate, don't you, Gary? You know, something...
0: To the welfare of your, of your fellow man. But the the third the third case that came out recently as well, is a woman called Jennifer Hatch. And she starred in an ad uh, produced by a Canadian clothing retailer. Uh, The ad was called All Is Beauty, which makes it sound like I'm sidelining in the production of euthanasia ads for the Canadian market. Yeah, yeah. But I had no involvement. And the ad, Michael, was attacked because people said it was promoting and glamorizing her choice to... kill herself. And she had a, she had a, a medical condition. She looked for a long time and couldn't get medical care. And you know, the ad was a very, very positive portrayal. Uh, unfortunately, it now turns out, uh, according to her friends, that she actually, in fact, wanted to live but was unable to access adequate medical healthcare uh, and so decided that suicide would be a better option. Yeah.
1: So it's a kind of a 50 50 story. It's not 100% good news for euthanasia supporters.
0: So she had actually talked. To CTV under a pseudonym, and now it's turned out that it was actually this woman in the ad, but here's an interesting thing. I give you a quote Michael from this is the the approval she got for maid for for euthanasia. There were no other treatment recommendations or interventions that were suitable to the patient's needs or to her financial constraints. Or to her. Financial constraints. The ad opened with a caption reading the most beautiful exit and talked about the hard beauty of this woman's assisted suicide. I mean, it's
1: nauseating. I mean, that is genuinely... They've reached the point where that is... I, I, literally and I use the word in its correct and perfect literally nauseating. You read that sentence, Gary and my stomach actually went it clenched. That's
0: oh my God, I'm I'm pretty hard line on the market and um, your know, hierarchies of care. I can get behind that. hmm But I you know, I just I would think there should be a baseline ser- provision of services to the extent that people are not euthanizing themselves because they can't afford basic medical care.
1: It, this is also a kind of an indication, I think, to, you know the way that you see a certain kind of uh, deification of the Canadian medical system within American television? It's a running joke. It has been for years. Oh my God, Canada, where they have fantastic healthcare and free drugs. It's... You know, we couldn't have that here. There are incredible failings and problems with the Canadian healthcare system. I would say the vast majority of healthcare systems in Europe, and I'm not talking about some kind of radical, hard-line, free-market, open-it-up approach to healthcare. care. system in Europe, bar maybe one or two, is better than the Canadian system. By the way, I don't think so what we're talking yeah. about. The American healthcare system is far from a free market system. It's a really weird system, which ends up spending 16% of their GDP on health. But Kerry, listen to this. This was the part of the story uh, as reported by her family, right? She was left without primary care after her family doctor moved away. And this is a problem in the Canadian healthcare system because there's a incredible shortage of GPs. And if you get, I was talking to a guy, <clears throat> listen, a few years ago, who was looking for an appointment for cognitive behaviour therapy, which he, he couldn't get without an appointment from his doctor. And he had to wait seven months for an appointment with his GP and then two years for a CBT. Anyway, the doctor moved away, so she she couldn't get another one. Her treatment had largely consisted of a chaotic and ineffective stream of specialist appointments, none of whom had any background in her condition. I feel like I'm falling through the cracks. So if I'm not able to access health care, and I am able to access death care, that's what led me in to look into me. Now, that's a sentence that our friends should reflect on that are pushing this compassion so hard. I feel like I'm falling through the wrecks. If I'm not able to access health care, am I then able to access death care? Geez, scary. that's a high bar of ambition, isn't it, for a health system? We can't get you a doctor or a GP, but we can kill you. We can give you that option.
0: This might be a, a bit out there, Michael, but I have a feeling that um, if the purr and the sick are euthanizing themselves because of failings in public health care or housing, that should be considered a policy failure.
1: You're always glass half empty, aren't you, Gary?
0: I see, Michael, this is the problem with all of these hard cases and empathy and people saying we've got to help those hard cases. Where no, you tell those hard cases to walk into the sea and that it will be kept illegal. That's the obvious solution here. Just quietly commit suicide, don't change the law.
1: Or, give the woman an appointment with her GP and maybe give her some healthcare. I
0: don't know, who's living in a fantasy land now? I joke, but that is what Michael said is obvious solution. But what I said is also partially a solution. This idea that we need to legalise suicide in order to deal with the hard cases creates what we see in Canada. What we see in other countries that have brought this in changes the nature of certain parts of society we're just quietly walking into the sea. Is a time-tested and true method, Michael. And the sea generally doesn't give people back.
1: You're too young to remember, but Reggie Perrin knew that. He was a great man of the seventies, a great comic character of the seventies. Just walk into the sea. The problem. He, uh, there are. Listen, Gary. If we can be half serious for a second, there are just so many inevitable consequential problems from legalizing what has also i'm sure you've noticed the evolution in the language particularly in europe from passive euthanasia to assisted suicide to now assisted dying it's assisted dying Gary. it's not assisted suicide anymore
0: well michael you've got to you've got to be cognizant of the sensitivities of people you know, you've got to soften the language there's a fantastic have you ever heard george carlin's sketch on post-traumatic stress disorder no no i have not wildly off the rails and not be funny at all but he has some very good stuff mm-hmm. but he has and he's talking about language changing which was obviously a big thing with Carolyn. really interested in it and he's talking about the how we got to post-traumatic stress disorder and how at every like you start with shell shock and then every step of the way it's softened and it's changed so at the end of it you don't even really know what it's referring to whereas shell shock that was obvious
1: yeah. Would they stop with the bloody shells? Please stop bombing me. Yeah, you can and you could get on board with that. You can sit for, for years in a, in the mud and some being bombed the fuck out of by the Germans, that's going to be upsetting. There was a case I'm sure you saw guys that was some time ago. There are cases coming up all the time. I had a conversation with a guy from the Antscom Institute recently about this. And it's just cases coming up constantly for us. Uh, five, ten more years in in the Netherlands and in Belgium. Each one, you think, oh my God, this is so shocking. This has to change, and then nothing changes. But there was the what are the issues here? Is, is for example, yeah. is the notion of consent, and also the fact that we are afraid of things, and then it's it's the current fear rather than the present reality maybe that dictates. So people make living wills, Gary, as you know, and. Sometimes they say, if I get uh, Alzheimer's, for example, uh, then please euthanise me.
0: Is this the case of the old woman who had written something about cognitive decline into a living will and then told doctors that she had changed her mind and then had to be held down by her family at the doctor's orders while she was being euthanized, and everyone went, Jesus, that's terrible. That should not have happened and nothing changed.
1: Because they went to court and you know, there was a court case taken, you know, that you know, not not to execute the order. And they said, no, she was no longer competent, I think was the in this particular case. There's a there's a wonderful moment in Blackadder, I, I, I shouldn't constantly go to popular culture, but there you go, where uh, they're talking about, Blackadder has been uh, appointed the he- Lord High Executioner, and the, the lifespan of the Lord High Executioner is very, very short. The previous one had actually accidentally got drunk and signed his own death warrant, and they'd come to him and taken him off and cut his head off. And Haller said, but why Why didn't he tell them they got the wrong man? To Which Melchit responds, "Ah, but they had the right man and they had the paperwork to prove it. And in this case, they had so then you got that lovely heartwarming scene where you're holding down Mammy while the doctor sticks in the needle. Now Mammy, don't worry, it'll be over shortly. That's such a, that's, that's, Family care at its best, isn't it? And that's not a unique case. It's not going to be a unique case. Then there's the case of Belgium of a person in their was it late thirties, late sorry late twenties or early twenties who had suffered and was suffering from depression. And at the beginning of these things, the it's always said it's only for cases for people irretrievably and terminally ill and are in. Unendurable pain. That's where you start. It's up, it's terminal illness and an unendurable pain, and then you get a thirty-two-year-old with depression, and they're getting the old injection. That's where it starts. That's where it ends.
0: You are correct, Michael. That the doctor who carried out the euthanasia was uh, was cleared found that they were acting in good faith just to for the listener who might not be aware of this here's a quote from the *Independence* reporting at it so a doctor at a nursing home in the netherlands where euthanasia is legal was investigated following the death of the unnamed woman who expressed a wish to die when the time was right the catholic news agency reported that the woman woke up despite the sleep inducing drugs she had been given in her coffee and tried to resist the procedure the doctor then asked the relatives of the woman, said to be aged over 80, to restrain her while she administered the lethal injection. The senior doctor had determined the time was right because of a recent deterioration in the woman's condition. Now, I'm just going to say, if you want to be euthanized when the time is right, but you wake up and try to resist the procedure, I think you might have what, Michael, we would call a difference of medical opinion with your doctor.
1: I also think that that's one of those situations where the doctor maybe should listen to the patient. If the patient is desperately struggling for life, maybe that's a... Cla- you should take that as a sign not to kill the patient. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, Gary.
0: Well, I think traditionally in Western medicine, Michael... That would probably have been taken as a sign.
1: Yeah, first do no harm, Gary. First do no harm.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, doctors don't uh, don't swear to the Hippocratic Oath anymore, Michael. It'd be quite difficult considering it does things like, say, you shouldn't provide an abort efficient. You know, old-fashioned things like that. Also, don't have the family of your patient hold her down so you can kill her. That might not be explicitly referenced in there, but I feel it was probably covered.
1: I think it was part of the Hippocratic spirit, shall we say, yeah.
0: On a a more serious note, and one that is is more sympathetic to the doctor, if a patient comes to you when they are cognizant and says, this is what I want to happen, and later has a sharp deterioration of that, uh, and has been severely affected by Alzheimer's or, or things like that, where the mind is legitimately gone or going, well then, yes, you can make an argument that... You know, these are the instructions that were provided to you by the patient when they're cognizant, and that well, this is the way it needs to go. Absolutely.
1: Once you open that door, where else is the doctor going to go? But the doctor should not be put in that position. And that, if you want to get to the very essence of the, my objection to this, and there I have many objections. We don't have a right to be assisted to die because. We don't have a right to assisted suicide, because that inevitably demands the complicity of another human being. We have made a choice to say we don't make suicide a crime anymore. As you know, Gary, once upon a time, suicide attempt suicide was a crime. You could be arrested and imprisoned for it, you in certain places you could be home for it. But we don't do that in. We say that suicide is not that it is not a crime to suicide. You don't have the right to say, well, I want somebody to come along. And essentially, we call it suicide. Essentially, it's a, in, in enlisting the aid of another person to kill you. And when you might even be able to do that on a private level, shall we say, in a private compact, fundamentally corrodes and rots the system the way we consider what is healthcare, if you introduce this the notionally even as a right to our health system. You're, demand, you're saying to somebody, I demand that you are complicit in my killing. You don't get to say that to another person. You certainly don't get to say that to a doctor. Doctors should, it should be an uncomplicated scenario for a doctor. I mean, it's not, it's never uncomplicated, but this seems to me to be a really unnecessary further complication.
0: There is a lot going on in relation to this. Um, a lot of technicalities as the house stuff is done. Obviously you have euthanasia, which is physician assisted suicide. You have uh, versions where there is no physician involved and the patient does it themselves, then I mean you have stuff more kind of passive forms of euthanasia, kind of uh, non-resuscitation orders, stuff like that.
1: Like the the optics and the aesthetics and the language that are being used now. I mean, this is good old fashioned. I don't know, is it utopian or dystopian? It but this you know the beauty, the hard beauty, and this choice and this wonderful. Thing. Did you ever see Logan's Run? Does that mean anything to you? I've seen Logan's Run. Sorry?
0: I've seen Logan's Run. It's considered a classic sci fi movie.
1: Yeah, and there for you, under, you see the thing. Uh, Logan Run, what, what was the age if you hit 30? Is it 30?
0: I think it was 30, yeah. You got to float in the air and then be hit by a beam of light, if I recall correctly.
1: And they, there was all this lovely Vaseline lensed, you know, it was all beautiful. That was, shall we say, the the propaganda. Book. And I, I I'm I'm listening to saying, like, Jesus, Logan's run. And I'm I'm waiting for any moment for someone to put a bracelet on me and for a little red light to go beep beep times oh. Michael knows. I mean there's a reasonable chance that I'm hoping anyway that their velical system is going to have, to have a lot to do with me for the next twenty or thirty years. But there you go. Know.
0: The joy of man made horrors beyond your comprehension. I know,
1: I know. It's it, gas. Yeah. You know, suicide. It's just plain old-fashioned suicide, apparently. It's getting big amongst the young.
0: Ah, oh, Michael, it's it's selling like hotcakes. At least according to a recent report from Healthy Ireland, which you may have seen reported in the media because God knows no one is going to actually read a report before putting up a headline saying that one in ten young people are, have tried to kill themselves, Michael. Okay, so let's take that. One in
1: ten young people... Okay, I, I, I'll imagine the headline. Report says... Our study says, because support study I think is better, the study says one in ten Irish children have tried to commit suicide. So Gary, tell me, you've read the report, you've looked at the methodology of the report. What do you think of the report, Gary?
0: I am concerned, Michael, that the sample uh, surveyed yes. may not be representative. And interestingly enough, Michael, the Department of Health agrees. In the report. In the
1: report. It wasn't in the headline though, Gary.
0: Didn't quite make it into the Irish Times headline of 1 in 10 young adults have attempted suicide, survey fines. Or the the Irish Examiner headline, which I've just looked at now and they have edited. It says 1 in 10 people aged under 35 tried to take their life, survey fines. That's not the original headline. I'm going to go and archive search this to find out what it was. So here's the original examiner headline courtesy of the internet archive Michael 1 in 10 people aged under 35 tried to take their life over the last 2 years.
1: Oh okay. Yeah. This quite a over the last 2 years only as well.
0: Gosh. I'm just I'm just going to I'm just going to set expectations here Michael. Yes. And say that the Irish Times article was written by Paul Cullen who was the same chap who reported on that vaping survey which ended up being conducted on 6 people. Oh, that's uh, a fact which Mr <laughs> Cullen did been. not see necessary to uh, to tell people. In fairness, neither, neither did the Minister for Health. So here's the thing. The Irish Times article at least says survey finds. The survey doesn't find that. The survey reports that. You find facts. You have results. Those are not the same thing.
1: What's the problem with the sample, Gary?
0: So the survey itself, to be fair to the Department of Health, says that they don't think this is a representative sample. Probably because, Michael, if you were to take the numbers they're saying, where 6% of uh, of people in Ireland have tried and failed to commit suicide, you would be talking at something somewhere in the line of 300,000 people in Ireland have, not, have, have tried and failed to kill themselves. So you'd have all the actual effective suicides on top of that. So
1: 300,000 people, and these are 300,000 people under the age of 35.
0: No, no, this would be the global sample. So they're saying that 10% of people under 35, but overall it was 6%, although when you get up to the older uh, people, it's like 1%.
1: But you'd be really concerned, wouldn't you, that that level of failure with young young people?
0: You know, that that is one of the things that you immediately know, but you perhaps wouldn't bring up in polite conversation. Okay. The thought that, I mean, it doesn't seem that difficult. People have been doing it for years. But 300,000 people to have tried and failed...
1: I tried and found Like, there are what they call, Gary, you mean, I'm sure you're aware, what they call suicidal acts, which are different to attempts to suicide. A suicidal act is something which is, which looks like an attempt to at suicide, but isn't actually, an, a, a, it doesn't carry the, a real intent to commit suicide, but rather it's a performative act. It's a, it's a, a I, said, I don't mean in a, in a sort of judgmental way a, a desire to, to draw attention. It's a its a way of raising a red flag. It's a drowning person waving their arms, desperately seeking, please, would somebody help here? I am in a very, very bad way. But uh, attempted suicide, so that, 6%. That seems like an awful lot, but I don't know. I have no clue what the international...
0: I think the problem here is that if you just offer people the percentages without any context people I would imagine would go that seems very high but not realize kind of how far off we are so let's say we have a figure of 300,000 for the entire population somewhere in that region could be slightly above slightly below depending on exactly how it breaks down there are somewhere between 300 and 500 suicides a year in Ireland Michael that would indicate that for every successful suicide if this figure was to be correct about 100 people try and don't succeed. Now, that's on the assumption, Michael, that the the uh, you'd, you'd give them 100 years to average out. A thousand people? Well, see, well, it depends how many years you think that's over because they're surveying people across their life. Well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. We're leaning this as much in their favor as possible. Like, these are, at the very least...
1: So over yeah, over a, a period of hundred years, and yes, so you've you've one successful attempt and a hundred failures.
0: Uh, Michael, it might just be government propaganda about the effectiveness of Irish workers. But we're always told about how innovative, hardworking, and solution-focused the Irish workforce is. I just don't believe that kind of failure rate is is possible, given our high performance.
1: This has nothing to do with anything. But did
0: you see the productivity
1: figures that were published and then disappeared for some reason, which did a comparison? On the productivity of the Irish worker in the Republic of Ireland to the Irish worker in the North of Ireland.
0: Uh, yes, I think we were we were substantially more productive. I, I say we as if.
1: We, as in the South. The Republic, which is, is a spit. because I know it's not, we were sort of lazy, hag-about, lollabout types. And up there, they were all get up and go and have the Industrial Revolution and build the Titanic types. Turns out, no, we're busy little bees, Gary. Much busier than those bees.
0: That was before Michael people made a decision to slaughter each other and the British government decided to step in and went, you know, the best way to stop this happening is to give everyone government jobs.
1: Government jobs which are paid tremendously. My favorite stat about the North of Ireland, which is probably no longer true, but it was true for quite some time was it had the highest percentage ownership per capita of BMWs in the world, other than the other than Germany. And they were it was because of the tremendous number of people who had state jobs and were working overtime. Now, admittedly, I will I will allow you, Gary, working overtime on the UDR or the RUC did have certain downsides. There were issues. I won't deny that. But it was a good pay package and lots of BMWs. Anyway, we're getting back to suicide.
0: So, obviously, there is there the, are the, the facts of the report, which even the Department of Health, say, are unlikely to be representative that fact didn't quite make it into most of the reporting about it. The Irish Independent, I think, had the most sort of nuanced take, as in, we've actually read the fucking report kind of take. Here's the thing, Michael. Some might argue that, you know, the, the should we say, the upper class of Irish media, like the Irish Times, might have some sort of responsibility to accurately report on horrible things that people might undertake, like suicide, and that, Writing an article which seems to grossly misrepresent the actual rate of suicide amongst young people uh, is made no better because you write it and then go, and by the way, here's a link to the Samaritans And that perhaps you might have been best served by pointing out the, you know, the survey is unrepresentative. And if you're a young person, you don't have to consider that, you know, suicide is a very popular option these days.
1: Shall we say, uh, what more little factor in the normalisation of suicide as as an option. Which is, by the way, connect, I wanted to, I forgot to I say, one of the weird things, do you know, you, is it just me, or is there not something fundamentally weird and dissonant about, on one hand, creating a state structure to help people kill themselves because of mental or physical distress, and then at the other time, spend as much time as we do with advertising in media and outreach programs and mental health charities and anti-suicide charities, telling people that suicide is bad. Am I actually missing something? I mean, I'm not I'm asking a smart-ass question, but that seems to me to be weird. On the one hand, we spend so much time, and we recognise that in Ireland, like lots of parts of the Western world, we've had a crisis with young male suicide for a long time. And by the way, the girls are starting to catch on as well. And yet, at the same time, we say, "Well, you know, it can be beautiful. It can be lovely." I, I, I don't think this is a good, consistent message to send out to people regarding whether or not it's a good idea to take their lives.
0: You don't think a messaging of suicide is never the answer unless you can successfully fill out this form? Is is a good message?
1: And then, if you can successfully fill out the form, then it can be, become a beautiful thing, a lovely thing.
0: Eventually, Michael, they're going to say that the. Form is a you know discriminatory barrier to those who can't use a pen, and then we'll have to get rid of that too. And then it'll just be suicide is the answer.
1: Will there be anybody left on the planet, Gary? Do you know what? It'll be Mormons, Mormons, evangelicals, right wing Catholics, and and Indians. That'll be it. The only people left on the planet.
0: I will agree that you know people don't consider suicide enough. I'm just saying the state shouldn't be involved with it.
1: your typical free marketeer, get the state out of the suicide business. When you would say, oh, God, stop. No, no, this is just this is all just too grotesque, too (laughs) horrible. Because you know what's going to happen, Gary? The state will get out of it in some places and it will be privately supplied. There will be regulations and we will be reading articles about the lack of regulation in the suicide business. And there'll be other articles talking about failures of regulation and then others will be writing about how the price of suicide has gone up because of unnecessary government regulation.
0: What what I'm really looking forward to, Michael, is when there's some sort of safety scandal in a suicide clinic.
1: Someone could have been hurt.
0: <laughs> <Failure> to. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was hot. On. There, was, there was there was electricity. There were plugs, double sockets, triple sockets.
0: They will be subject to government checkups and one of them will fail, and a very serious bureaucrat will write a very serious report about how if these issues are not dealt with, they represent a risk to the life of patients.
1: serious. I can just imagine, picture this thing, Gary. Somebody forgets to put on the extra lock on the drug cupboard, and somebody will go on and say, this is outrageous. Vulnerable people could have had access to those drugs and have done themselves harm. Suicidal individuals could have got hold of those drugs.
0: That's outrageous. This kind
1: of thing shouldn't be happening in a suicide center, not in this day and age. The government needs to crack down.
0: And oh, this is the great beauty of a mindlessly bureaucratic state.
1: Which has decided that it has, at its core, no morality, no ethics. There is no telos, there is no end. It's just, its job is, bureaucracy is the in and of itself, the reason for its own existence, and that's it. It is an eternal bureaucracy. And this is a cost-effective way to approach the issue.
0: And one which accepts, increasingly accepts, that there is no area which is legitimately beyond its reach. The,
1: the 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 notion of the separation of the sacred and the profane has utterly, utter, I mean, utterly disappeared. If you were to say sacred to these people, Gary, you can just imagine the furrowed brow with the puzzled look. What sacred mean?
0: I feel, Michael, that when people said that, you know, if you continue down this path, you may live to see man-made horrors beyond your comprehension, everyone who said that so far has failed to realise the level of bureaucracy that's going to be involved.
1: And You know what, Gary? We've seen it before. Tremendous bureaucracy just in order to create a small hell on earth. Do you know what, Gary? I don't think we're going to have time to. To talk about the teachers today so we may have to talk about the teachers next week no
0: perfectly so michael uh i will just mention then for the listeners i'll put an article to a, a link to a gript article below the national council for curriculum and assessment have come out with a new report we reported on a draft version of that report months ago saying that it was fundamentally flawed and just not worth the paper it was written on and they've now released the final document and they fixed absolutely none of those issues
1: you're doing what you're always giving out to me which is you're giving the listeners homework so they can prepare for the next week's discussion by reading your article in GRIPT.
0: On the plus side, there are no references to death in those documents. That's, which is... So it'll be very uplifting.
1: Very Christmassy. Anyway, we will, we will see... We will be, we'll chat again next Sunday. Bye, bye. All the best.